Welcome to this 10th anniversary. Amen. <laughs> it's been 10 years. We thank God. We thank God for all of you that are able to be here, here with us tonight. And uh, we know a lot more are still on the way. And we just pray that God will get them here safely. Uh, just a couple of things that you need to be aware of. Oh, by the way, can you start giving the handouts? Give to those guys on this uh, tables first. That's what I'm going to be teaching from tonight. But tomorrow, uh, I just want to encourage you. Some of made the announcement already. Let's be punctual tomorrow. Uh, I think 8.30 is when they want us here. And we're going to kick it off right on time. And then we're going to give you your notebooks and some other anniversary materials tomorrow. Not tonight, but tomorrow. So I just want you to be prompt tomorrow and then we can get started. Amen? Okay, good. Are you guys ready? Father, we just want to thank you again for this awesome privilege that we have. The liberty we enjoy in your spirit to come before your presence, to break the seal of your word, to share from your insight, your wisdom, your truth and revelation which you've committed to us. Lord, as we've prayed earlier, I burden tonight that we are not here to just get more knowledge. That we are not here to just uh, mark the attendance and the obligation to be here. But God, that we will leave this place at the end of these days together. And we will, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, talking to Jesus, say, did not our hearts burn? I pray, my Lord God, that you will write on a tablet of our hearts your indelible word which is able to change, transform, and redirect and reconfigure our lives and our direction. That we will no longer be tossed back and forth with every wind of doctrine. But that we will be established in your present truth. Thank you, Father God. We honor you. We bless you. We pray for every man, every woman, every ministry that is represented here. Lord God, they left their places of assignment with issues, challenges, questions for which they need answers. Let the time in your presence be a time when you deliver answers to every question. That we will live here with solutions and not with problems. We thank you, Lord. We honor and we bless you for the table that you prepared before us as we sit to dine in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. So let's just go to the book of Ephesians tonight. The theme for this entire week is enabled by grace. Enabled by grace. And when you get your notebooks tomorrow, we get into more uh, 
preliminary things that will fully introduce this meeting. But the theme is enabled by grace. And many of us, uh, if you've been coming here for a while now, you've been, you know, for the last two, three years, we've been talking about this grace thing, this grace subject, the subject of grace. And even though we have no books that you're going to get tomorrow, what I'm teaching tonight is beyond and outside of those I've got no. That's why I made the, made the photocopies for you. Because it just, it just occurred to me that even though we are getting into some materials that you're going to see in your notes, that there are certain fundamental things that we need to settle. Certain fundamental things that we need to settle that if you don't settle them, you'll be here and there, here and there. You get this information over here, information over there, and you're never really able to build on a solid foundation. So basically what I'm saying to you tonight is, what I'm sharing tonight will be like foundation that makes grace work. Which if you don't get, you'll be working in grace, hitting and missing. Hitting and missing. Amen? You know, there's a reason for when, when you start school. They start, they start with the basic thing. One plus one is equal to two. Two plus two is equal to four. It's not that the teacher does not know deep things. But the teacher understands that in order for you to grasp the foundation upon which you can build your learning, they have to have what you call building blocks. So we learn one plus one, two plus two, and all of those things. And you realize that even now, some of you may be PhD in mathematics, you may be engineers, you may be doctors. At the end of the day, whatever you are doing, you still find yourself using those basic things you learned when you were in elementary school. You don't become a PhD and you all of a sudden one plus one is, not, is now three. If that's your factoring, then you're in serious trouble. <laughs> all right. Having said that, now let's go to the book of Ephesians. Just open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1 there. And so for, the sub, for, the, for, the, for, for our time together tonight, and perhaps I will get in some, because this is a lot of stuff. I didn't realize how much this stuff was until Revelation printed them. You know. uh, so I'm going to use the subject title, Our True Identity. If you don't know who you are, you will never fully be able to live out the life that God has called you and I to. And I just find that the book of Ephesians is a most potent, most powerful, but at the same time, very simple book that the Apostle Paul used to lay out the identity of the believer in Christ. Just as he used the book of Romans to explain to us God's plan for our redemption. I find that he now used the book of Ephesians to lay out for us the riches of the spiritual things that God has accomplished in the believer. So now in your notes. Of all Paul's epistles, it is in Ephesians that we find the highest spiritual truths concerning the Christian life. 
the epistle to the Ephesians abound with spiritual riches. And yet at the same time, it's intensely practical. Now, to make it easy for us, the first half of the entire book of Ephesians reveals our life and position in Christ, if you will, our identity. Huge. Huge. And you see as we go further in this teaching. If you don't get that, if you don't get the issue of identity right, you cannot live right. Hello? That is big. And this is the reason for which I want to do this because we've defined grace. We know we have to believe. We know we have to... But if you, if you, if you don't bring it all together into a cohesive single message where it makes sense, then what's going to happen is we get this, we get this, we, 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 you know, we have all these patches but never able to make sense out of it. So what Paul is doing here is helping us understand that number one, well, I don't want to get out of myself. So the first three chapters identifies or deals with the issue of who are we now? Who are we? Identity. Okay? The second half shows us in very practical terms how life is to be lived by us in the light of our position in Christ. Do you see how masterly this is? So the first three chapters are this is who are you? Then the next three chapters identifies okay, now that you know you are who you are, this is how you should live your life. That's the entire book of Ephesians. Did you get that? Identity, the first three chapters. Practical living out of your identity, the other three chapters. Now, in the second part of Ephesians, by that I mean chapters 4, 5, 6, that second part itself is also subdivided into two. Okay? The first part, which is chapters 1 through chapter 6, verse 9, talks about my and your life in the world. How we should conduct ourselves. How we should live in the world. And the other part of that second part addresses the believer's attitude to the enemy. So really, really, when you put the book of Ephesians together, the entire book, you can summarize it as follows. And it's in your notes. A, chapters 1 to 3, our position or identity in Christ. B, the practical chapters, chapters 4 through 6, our life in the world and our attitude to the enemy. That's it. That's it. That's who you are. So, you know who you are. You know how you should live on day-to-day to day basis. And then, because we live in a fallen world, we know there's conflict. Therefore, you need to know your attitude towards the enemy. That's the entire book of Ephesians in a nutshell. Did you guys get that so far? Is it difficult? Oh, good. No! This is where it gets interesting. In 
the first section of the letter, the key word that Paul uses, and that's what I want to use to teach tonight, the key word that he uses is the word sit. Sit. Okay? Which is the key to that entire section and the secret to the entire Christian experience. If you are not sitting, you will not be able to walk. If you are not sitting, not only will you not be able to walk, you will not be able to stand. And right now you are wondering, what, what, kind of, what, are you, what is he saying? How can I sit and walk and stand? You will see in a minute. Huge! This is it. I'm telling you. If we get this and really believe this and really get in this, it, it will change you before you leave that of that door tonight. It will. Okay. God has made us. I'm back in the notes. Okay, let, let's, let's go to the scripture. Ephesians 2.6. Ephesians 2.6. Can you give that to me on the overhead? Right with me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Thank you. So the key word in the first three chapters is the word sit. Ephesians chapter 2.6. Watch it. See what it says. And raised us together. And what did he do? He made us to do what? Sit. Together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if I ask you, what are you doing right now? What, what's your answer? Sitting. Ah, wonderful. Wonderful. Derek, can you stand up, please? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for standing. If I ask you now, what are you doing now? What are you doing? Standing. No, sir. <laughs> You're still sitting. <laughs> That's why we get confused. I did that on purpose. Because you are judging your position by your activity. Look at what it says. He raised us up together and made us sit together. Present continuous. He didn't say we sat. He made us to do what? Sit. Whether you are eating, whether you are running, whether you are dancing, whether you, whatever you are doing, you are sitting. That is what you must get your spirit to understand, your brain to accept, because if you don't understand that, you can never walk. Okay? So God has made us sit together with Christ in the heavenly places, and every believer, you may need to underline this in your notes, Every believer must begin his spiritual life from that place of what? Rest. I'm going to come back and address it more fully. Let me just cover the, the three key words and then I'm going to come back and, uh, and, and cover it more fully. In the second half of the letter, the key word is the word what? Walk. Walk. Give me Ephesians 4 one, sir. So in the first part, the key word is the word sit. That's the key to the entire first section. In the second section, the key word is the word walk, as in walking. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to do what? To walk 
worthy of the calling with, you, with, with which you are called. But this is the folly for me and you. Many of us as believers are attempting to walk and we are not seated. The ability to walk is found in your position of sitting. So that's why we are hitting and missing. Grace works today, it doesn't work tomorrow. Because what's happening is we are entering and coming out and entering and coming out, not recognizing that the position of the believer first and foremost must be a seated position. Okay. I, 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 I may have to get a little ahead of myself to make the point. If you are driving a nice car, you have a beautiful car, very beautiful, and you want to go from here to Warner Robins, can you carry the car on your head, sir? Can you put the car on your head? Absolutely not. What would you have to do? You have to drive it, right? Good. That's true. It has to drive it. But can you drive the car without sitting in it? Hello? The car drives. But in order for the car to drive, someone must enter the car and sit. As long as you are seated, the car can drive. But if you get out of that car, and you stop being seated. Would the car still drive? Are you guys getting what I'm saying to you? You have to be seated in order to walk. Now, I know you're saying, oh, this, how can I sit here and I walk to the toilet? How is that possible? I know, I know your head, you're, 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 you're <laughs> but God will answer you in a minute. <laughs> Because you are trying to figure out some of this, is a, you know. But you, but you just need to see what Paul is saying to us. In Ephesians 4 1, he said, Listen, because of who you are, because of your identity, because of your position that you have in Christ, your union with Him, walk accordingly. Do you not know that President Barack Obama? Before he became president, he may have certain habits. Maybe he likes to eat, I don't know, maybe Wendy's hamburger. Maybe before he became president, he would just go to the neighborhood in Chicago or Washington and just go to Wendy's and buy a hamburger. Can he do that now? Why can't he do it? Has his appetite changed? Does he still have desires for those things every now and then? But because of his position, is not going to do certain things. His position has changed certain things. He automatically, he, don't, he doesn't have to be in bed and say, ah, no, ah, 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 hamburger, hamburger. No. No. He's not struggling with it. Because the new position that's been conferred upon him, with that position comes certain responsibilities that he clearly understands. Now, I'm not sure if that will work if Donald Trump is president. <laughs> you may, may have a set of new protocol. <laughs> they may have a Wendy in the White House just to make sure. 
Oh my goodness. So, moving on here. So in the second half, the, letter, the key word is the word walk, which expresses our life in this world. So Paul challenges us to display in our Christian walk conduct which is consistent with our high calling. Does that make sense? Now, I said to you that there are two things in that second section. The first one is the conduct, the way in which we, the way in which we live. The second thing has to do, this last page in your note here, it says in the, in the third part we find the key to our attitude toward the enemy containing the word stand. And that is a very instructive word. What Paul is saying is to stand. Don't forget that. So you sit, which describes your position in Christ, your identity. As a result of your sitting, you walk, which is your conduct in life. And then because we live in a fallen world, from time to time, you have to stand. That is your attitude towards the enemy. Now, so, flipping the page. So the key words in Ephesians now is our position in Christ, which means to sit, our life in the world, which means to walk, and our attitude to the enemy, which means to stand. All right. So right there, I included the scriptures in Ephesians 1, 17 to 21, which talks about how Jesus Christ is, being, uh, is sitting at the right hand of the Father in verse 20. And then in Ephesians 2, 6, 9, talks about how you and I now are also made to sit together with him in heavenly places. So now this is the key. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, I mean chapter 1 verse 20 rather, Ephesians 1 20, we see that God is made Jesus to be seated. But in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 6, we are seeing that not only is Jesus seated, but you and I are also seated together with him. So we are in the same place. You see that? Now, in your notes I said, God made him to sit and then makes us to sit. Oh my God. I'm about to explode. Because of what I'm seeing. God made him, Jesus, to sit. And then because Jesus is accepted, and he has been made to sit immediately. The same honor and privilege was conferred on us. If we truly know who we are, we will rock our world. Watch what I'm about to show you. In the Old Testament tabernacle of Moses, and I just redid that whole book, it will be available tomorrow. Laced with grace. Totally. In fact, I renamed the book The House That Grace Built. <laughs> it will be here tomorrow. I thought it's here now, but we're going to unveil them tomorrow. It's unbelievable. Because in that tabernacle, in the most holy place, one of the most revered articles of furniture it's called the Ark of the Covenant. Which is actually two pieces of furniture combined as one. So you have the Ark 
which looks like a chest, like a shoebox, a chest, on top of which is placed a cover or a lid, which is the mercy seat. It's amazing that even within the context of the law, where God was giving the law in Exodus 20, within the context, God already saw that the law was handing out. These people will never be able to fulfill it. And before they failed or, or, or missed or violated the first law, he gave a solution. Oh my gosh. Before they were found in violation of the very first law, as he was giving them all those laws, in Exodus chapter 20, the last two, three verses, first he talks to them about altar and what the altar must be like. What do you need an altar for? Sacrifice. So God was saying, you know what? I know you will not be able to fulfill what I'm telling you. So I'm going to make allowance for your failure. I'm going to provide something in advance for the failure I already see. You build me an altar. And on and on and on and from Exodus 20, it came to Exodus 25. We now give them a complete system of worship in the tabernacle of Moses, which was supposed to take care of the failures. Before they could violate the first law, it gave a solution. You are telling me that now in this new era, that sin is so big that God cannot deal with it? And he addressed it in the old covenant with those guys who did not know their hair from their tail? So in that tabernacle, there was in the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant, which was a mercy seat, and the Ark itself. You can read this in, in the scriptures. The thing is called a mercy seat. However, this is the problem. Aaron and his sons in that era, even though there was a seat in the Holy of Holies, they could never sit down. The seat was there. God allowed them to see the seat. But at the same time, that seed, that seed rather was a reminder to them that their work was never done. Sacrifices, 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 killing animals, killing animals. So the seed gave two messages. Number one, your work is never done, you will never rest. But second and most importantly, he gave a message for the future when the son of grace himself, when Jesus, who is grace personified, who is our mercy seat, will come physically in the flesh and will become the rest of God for all of mankind. Are you following what I'm saying? So those priesthood then, they saw the seat, but they could never sit down because their work was never done. It's, it's in the book of Hebrews. You want to read it? Let's go read it. Because I'm not making it up. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 11. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Look at what it says. And every priest, say every priest. Say every priest. Stands ministering daily. They didn't just sit down. And offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Which can never take away sins. What kind of business is that? <laughs> and they're standing up daily. Even though there was a seat. It was a prohibited seat for them. Verse 12. Same chapter. But this man. Which man? Jesus. After he had offered one sacrifice. For sins, for whatever, sat down. <laughs> All like Aaron, he did not offer repeated sacrifices, just one. And once it was done, he sat. Finished. Finished. This is important that you recognize this. Because if you don't get this, like I'm telling you, walking in grace for you and I will be hit or miss. You need to know where you are. Okay? So in the Old Testament, there was a mercy in the most holy place which no one ever sat because sacrifice for sin was never finished in that era. Never. But not now. So now, back in your notes, we are mistaken to try to walk in order to sit. Because that's the way the natural man thinks. I'm walking, I get home, I sit down. With God, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. We're going to break that, we're going to break that down further. Now, Christianity does not begin with a big do, but with a big done. Thus, Ephesians begins with the statement that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's past tense. He's not going to bless us. He has blessed us. Past tense. And we are now invited from the outset to sit down and enjoy what God has done for us. So the Christian life from start to finish is based upon the principle of our utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus. Sitting, now here we go. Sitting is a posture of rest. It's going to make sense to you in a minute now. The reason Paul wants us to sit so we can walk, so we can stand, is because sitting denotes resting. Are you following me? Let's break it down further. What does it really mean to sit? When we walk or stand, our entire weight is being borne or carried by our legs. Is that not so? Yes. But when you sit down, immediately, look at, watch this, watch this. I sit down now. All of a sudden, 
Who's carrying my weight? The chairs. No, my legs is no longer carrying my weight. If I'm sitting, this is huge. As long as I'm walking or standing, my legs bear the weight. But when I sit down, the chair or the couch immediately replaces the place of my legs and bears that weight. Is that correct? Ah. When we sit, the strain no longer falls upon ourselves, but upon something or someone outside of us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Let's go on a little bit more. So, in the spiritual realm, to sit down is simply to rest our future and everything else upon the Lord. We let him bear the responsibility and cease to carry it ourselves. Just as the chair takes the place of my legs when I sit on the chair, even so when I rest in God or rest in Christ, what I've done is transfer to him the responsibility of carrying the weight that's upon me. Does that make any sense? Sammy, did you get that? I see the quizzical look on your face. Are you sure? <laughs> because I don't want us to. I want us. To, I want to make sure. And I'm going to let you guys ask questions because I want to make sure we get that part. Because if we miss the sitting, you can't walk. Listen, if I'm overtaken by sin, if I'm overtaken by any bad habit. Trying to address the habit is the wrong thing. It's an exercise in futility. The only reason I'm overtaking that thing is I got off about my position of sitting. If something's wrong with my walk, immediately what I need to be looking at is when did I get off from the chair? But traditional old Christianity is chasing rabbits. We're chasing all those faults, the things that's wrong. Not realizing that the real critical issue is the issue of the fact that I've gotten off from the chair. In this case, I've gotten off from my sitting in and with Christ. Okay. I think, I think we're going we're gonna to get it in a minute. So in the spiritual realm, to sit down simply to rest our future in Christ, okay? Now, watch this. Watch this. This is the third paragraph under what does it really mean to sit. To sit. This was God's principle from the beginning. This blew my mind when I finally saw this. Watch this. What happened at creation? In the creation, God walked for six days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? Ah, we all know that. Now, let me ask you a question. What about Adam? We know what happened to God. That in six days, one, two, three, four, five, six, day number seven, he rested. What of Adam? Where did Adam stand in relation to God's six days of creation? Where did he stand? 
Adam was created on his sixth day, therefore, clearly, he had no part in that creation. Let me repeat that. Because he was created on his sixth day, therefore, Adam did not lift, lift a finger to do any work during the week of creation. Did you understand that? He couldn't have. He wasn't there. So God labored. God worked. And that's another teaching by itself. We're going to get on that on Wednesday. So God worked. And the very first full day of Adam on planet Earth was a Sabbath. Is that not correct? That's the Sabbath when God was resting. So Adam came in on the first day and got into rest. That's exactly what Paul has been saying. He came in on, his, on the first full day on the earth and did what he sat. Oh. That's what happened. Because they said when God is resting. So Adam's introduction to planet Earth was rest. Not work. Now, now, God now told him later to walk, to tend the garden, right? But notice what? Notice this. God could not have told him to do that if he was not first resting. It was in the position of repose, of rest, that he got in charge. To do something. For you and I, we are looking for work. And after we've worked eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours, and then we say, with time we go rest. No, with God is the opposite. Because the strength for work is finding rest. The reason we get burned out, we are working in the ministry, we work a job, and we cannot sustain it, is because we are using our own energy, not God's. And God's energy, or his ability, if you will, is finding his rest. Did Jesus not say that? Come unto me. All you that labor and heavy laden, and I will do what? So we see that Adam had no part in the first six days of the work, for he came in only at the end. And God's seventh day of rest was in fact Adam's first day. So Adam began his life with the Sabbath. Now, God walked before he rested. One man must first enter into God's rest and then alone can he do any good work. <laughs> did, you, did I confuse you there? God did the work and then God rested. But that's not what we are supposed to do. He did the work, rested, brought me and you in an environment of rest, and said, now, while you're resting, now this is what you'll go and do. Okay. Let me take a pause.
Any questions about what I've said so far on sitting before I shift gears here? Yes. You had a question? We're getting mic. I can't hear you. I can, huh? Thank you. How can you explain this to me for, for living on a daily basis? So if I wake up on a daily basis, can you just give me the practical um, scenario of sitting with Christ? If I give that to you now, well, okay, I can give it to you. Sitting, resting, faith, believing is all the same thing. Did you hear what I just said? Sitting, resting, faith in God, believing God, trusting God, at the end of the day, all of them are synonymous. The issue of rest or the issue of sitting simply means you believe and embrace the finished work of Christ. Did you hear what I just said? You see, the, I, I can understand and appreciate the reason Paul went through this, if you will, very arduous task to explain this. Because what I just said to you is simply believe God. How long have you been saying that? How long have you been talking about believing God? Forever. Forever. But it's, it, it, for some reason, it's, it's, it's not really real to us. But when you try to, and that's why I said at the beginning, it's like elementary work. One plus one is two. You have to have building blocks upon which to build a spiritual infrastructure. You have to understand why am I believing? What is it about believing? You, you need to be able to understand and answer certain questions in your mind, so to speak, to come to a place of confidence which is huge. To know that God walked and you understand that even, ah, oh my goodness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 talks about how even before the world was made, God loved us. And that's part of this teaching that's coming much later. So the point here is Day one, day two, day three, four, five, six of creation. Why was, he do, why was he doing all of that? He was doing all of that in anticipation for Adam's arrival. You, you didn't hear what I just said? Everything God did for six days, he was not trying to impress himself. He can't be any bigger than he already is. It can be any smaller. So everything he did for six days was in anticipation for Adam's arrival. Oh, for Adam! So he walked, prepared the ground, he said, Adam, come and enjoy it. That's the idea that the word sitting connotes or being at rest. Resting means there is nothing for me to do. 
It's all here. It's all taken care of. Just enjoy it. That's God's plan. But it's too simple, stupid. We just can't believe that. Everything he did for six days was to welcome Adam. Just like for many of us, if you are expecting a guest in your home, this person that you really love and care about is about to come and visit for a weekend. You clean your house, you get the bedroom ready, you get your snacks, your food. What? Why are you doing that? And you tell your kids, you can't touch this. You can't, it's not for you. It's not, you put all this in. Why? In anticipation for the guests you are looking for. You prepare the ground. And when your guests get there, everything is ready and available for them. They don't have to lift a finger, but sit down and enjoy you. That's exactly what God has done for you from eternity past to eternity future. He said, from everlasting to everlasting, I've loved you. Huge. Huge. And my prayer for us, I'm going to catch your question. My prayer for us is that this will become real to us. So it's not just going to be mental ascent. No, 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 no. That's why nothing happens. But that we will be able to live with the understanding and truly come to grip with the fact that God is inviting us to rest. First, you, you have to really be amazed at the harmony of scriptures. We saw it in Genesis. And in Hebrews chapter 4, God says, there's a rest that remains for the people of God. It's connected. Pastor Tosin, did, did I answer your question? Okay, what, what do you want? I guess what I'm looking for is yes. a daily practical example of this. Um, so let's say I wake up in the morning and my day begins and um, I go to work and um, I, I have these load of work that I've been given to to do at the same time I have a pressure from my boss to accomplish this thing at a set time at the same time I have pressures at home to do A, B, C Correct. and then I work in the ministry then there's a pressure of accomplishing (laughs) things that are given to me in ministry Correct. and I'm hearing you say to me you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ and be rested. So I'm asking myself, how do I juggle all these things? Okay. And still Good. accomplish rest. Good. This is how it starts. When you wake up in the morning, you have to have a conscious awareness that I'm awake in Christ. You, 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 you have to, first of all, I want to truly recommend meditating in Pauline Epistles. Pauline epistles. All those verses of scriptures that talk about in Christ, with Christ, you need to saturate your mind with those scriptures. Reading over them and reading over them and, and speaking them to yourself and, 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 and speaking them out and just telling yourself this is who you are. Okay, so you wake up in the morning with a conscious awareness that even though I'm in this terra firma called earth, but really 
am in him. And I believe that I'm here. And I'm talking to him. I'm saying, Jesus, I took the example of David in his meditation. I have a conversation with him. I'm thankful for another day. I know, Lord Jesus, that you've brought me forth and created me in your workmanship unto good works. So, Jesus, as I begin this day, what is your plan for today? Because I'm going to show you something in a minute that's going to show you how this thing come together. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm, I'm going to talk to him like I'm talking to Dr. Yanko now. It's not the huffing and huffing and jumping up and down. No! But the, just talking to him. Talk, because when I'm talking to him, what does that do to me? He creates a presence in me that is there. There's a mental consciousness that says to me, it's not in a far away place, that in fact it's near me. And that's exactly who he is. He's there. Yeah. If we are seated together, as the Bible says, then you can't be far from me. So I'll take the time to acknowledge him and to speak to him and to affirm to myself what he already said about me. And then I'm going to engage and say, what is, what is our plans for today? Because you see, I don't want to run off to go get into my own works. Remember? You sit in order to walk. I'll ask him, where are you at work today, Father? Because remember Jesus, he said, I, what I see my Father do, that's what I do. And you're going to see it in a moment when I show you this illustration of the vine. There is no way you can have a work apart from him. You can't. So you engage him. You talk to him. And you have to believe that who you are talking to is hearing you. You have to believe that. And so if you believe that, hear this now, watch this now. If you believe you're talking to Sumba, Bishop, at some point, do you expect for her to respond back to you? Absolutely. Are you sure? But what happens is we talk to we talk to him, we do not give him a chance to respond, we're gone. And the reason we do that is because we are in unbelief. Because we truly believe that he exists. And he's hearing. Then we must understand he has the ability to respond. That's right. And expect a response from him. Yeah. What did he say? My sheep hear my voice. So if I'm not hearing his voice, something's wrong. It is sometimes he said, My sheep hear present continuous. And the voice of a strange one, they will not follow. Which means he expects for us to become so close, so intimate, we know the voice. Look, look, look at the baby, a child. Two, three, four weeks old. A father and mother cuddles that baby. After a while, the baby recognizes his parents easily. How do they do that? They can't even talk. They can't even talk. But they, they know the parent. They hear the voice, they respond. You strain your scooter with the baby, they don't pay you any attention. 
They don't pay any attention. So it begins with practicing the presence of God through speaking back to him what he's already said about us. Not just making things up. Because you see, when we get to this aspect, we're going to find out faith does not work on what he has not spoken. Ah, okay. I think I need to say that again. You see, grace can only appropriate by faith what God has spoken. What Jesus has not paid the price for in our redemption, you cannot use faith to get it. Thank you. You cannot say you like Melania Trump and you just believe God as that's, that's your wife. By faith. The blood has not provided for wife swapping. <laughs> Therefore, it will not work. Just that simple. So, yes. Let, let me catch Dr. Anjani first. It was first, and then I'll catch you. Excuse me. Yes. Tosin, did you, did you get him, Teddy? Okay. There's an aspect to that, and I will, I will address that in time. When we we'll get to standing, yeah. We're talking about, can you just help us distinguish between dead works and Oh, that's easy. Works. That's very easy. Dead work is anything I dreamt of for myself that God did not ask me to do. This room right now is full of dead bunch of dead works. It's quiet in here. Okay, let, 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 me, let, me, let, let me go to an example here. We, we don't even need to leave Genesis to address that. Isn't that amazing? Genesis chapter 2. Ah, thank you, God. Remember I said to you that Adam came on the sixth day. He had not done any work. And his first day was God's Sabbath. Do you understand that? Good. We have misunderstood the grace message to think that there are no works involved. That is not true. Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me qualify that very well. So, I don't want you to just run off with that. 
James is very clear that faith without works is dead. So we know there are works involved. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us though that we must repent from dead works. What that is talking about is you see, from sitting with Jesus the assumption is there's communion taking place. And as a result of that communion I'm receiving instructions for the good works that I was created for before the foundation of the world. Do you remember in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus called those disciples? This is another good example. The Bible says he called them to be with him and then he told them to go and preach. Do you guys remember that passage? Okay, don't let me get off message. So the point here is Adam came after the works had been done, after God had done all the works of creation. In Genesis 2.15 now, the Bible says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So the question here is, whose idea was it for Adam to get involved in work? You guys are not answering me. You grace people, you don't answer. So was, did Adam just wake up and say, ah, this grass in this, in this cotton. Let me go to uh, John Deere and buy a lot. No. 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 That God who gave him rest was when I said, okay, Adam, you are resting. Now, from the place of rest, this is your assignment. It's God. So when, relative to you and I, what God expects is that you and I will not lift a finger doing things, feeding this poor, or doing that, doing this, doing that, without having heard from him. Those things look good, they are wonderful, they are noble. Yes, they are. And someone ought to be doing them. But is it you that he wants to do it? Huge. We're going to get to a certain section of this teaching that helps us know four things that's essential in order for you to be able to use God's signature anyhow. His signature is available. By that I mean in Jesus' name. Just taking the authority in the name of Jesus and activating it in various settings and expecting a result. Right now, the result comes sometimes and sometimes it doesn't come. Why? Because God may not be committed to you in that area of work that you're doing because he never originated it. So you just hijacked his name and trying to use it. And he said, you know what? I'm not obligated. Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? I didn't send you on this errand. You're on your own. We have a lot of 95% of what we're doing for us in that category. I'm sorry. You see, because we have, we have, we have, we've been so programmed in the walking element and not in the sitting. And you can never walk correctly if you're not seated. It's just not going to happen. So walking comes out of sitting and definitely if you are not sitting don't even attempt to stand. <laughs> yes, now, your question. 
Did I, did I, did, are you covered? Yeah. Yeah. Still on the same question. Discuss it. Impasse I'm listening. From the position of seeking, now goes into the work that God has ordained, mm-hmm. or goes to do the work with anxiety and asking or saying to himself, Will this ground yield? Or doubting God, then it will move the position out of sitting into actual working. Yeah. Because I believe the anxiety will approach the work. And doubting once in a while from that manifestation of that which he has already ordained, which is should come from the position of sitting, then changed the formula away from sitting to actual working. Because we want to walk it, we want to see it. Instead of allowing him to do the work from the position of sitting. I guess my question is, listen to Pastor Tosi. When we approach our daily life, our daily living, our usual normal thing, but if we go day to day and not trusting God, that this thing is already done, but approach it with anxiety and with fear and with doubt, then immediately we are no longer sitting. No, because we are now walking. When, when, once you introduce the element of fear and anxiety, I'm not sitting. No. Okay. Do, do you understand what I just said? Because if I'm sitting, the mere the mere fact that I'm sitting eliminates any, any fear of anxiety. What am I anxiety about? It's, it disappears. That's the reason that the sitting becomes so paramount. Now, you are not going to start tonight and just all of a sudden be absorbed in sitting. It's going to be progressive. So I just I want you to be able to manage your expectation. Even though it's available. Even though it's available right now. But I'm just saying to you, you need to learn to manage your expectation in that area. And the more you become conscious and aware of what God has done and where you are in God, the more rea- the more really becomes, the more confidence you have, and the more you're going to begin to see it's going to be spontaneous. You won't even sweat it. It becomes automatic. It becomes automatic. Yes. It is interesting that uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, who talks about the Sabbath rest, also says that we should labor to enter into that rest. Correct. Labor to enter into that rest. Exactly. And from your explanation of what the sitting position is, which is actually trusting the 
the finished work of Christ. Yes. Trusting in the finished work of Christ. Yes. In relation to our identity, in relation to who we are in Him. So, um, would you comment on that? Yeah. In other words, we should labor yeah. to enter into that rest which yes. has already been supplied. Yes. Good. That's a very good, very, very good question. When a scripture talks about laboring to enter rest, if there's any work to be done, if there's any, if there's anything to, to the fact that I want to overcome my present mindset in itself is a labor. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible says in Philippians chapter one, that is God that's at work in me, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And I should walk out my salvation with fear and trembling. So God has already placed the disposition within me to be there. However, because I live in these elements, everything is telling me it's not so, it's not going to happen, you're not there. So I have to overcome that mindset. I have to say to myself, I know what I'm feeling, I know what I'm seeing, I know what's happening. However, I'm going to believe God. I, 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 I labor into that place. Does that make any sense? So the labor we are talking about there is not go out to do some work and go and start fetching firewood or uh, go and fetch timber. No. It has to do with this. To overcome what's between my ears, my senses. Pardon me? To renew my mind. Basically. But, to, but, 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 you know, because, okay, we talk about tomorrow morning now, you want to sit and talk to God. Do you think you wake up with, with that desire. You think that desire will just overwhelm you, man? I'm going to go back You wake up. You wake up tomorrow morning. Your AC is not working. That's what woke woke you up. So you are already in a bad mood. But in spite of that, you need to be able to overcome that and say, you know what? In spite of all these things that are failing around me, I know what my priorities are. And labor to get in that place. Does that answer that there? So there's work involved. But notice, it's not work as in going to start some wonderful 501c3 ministry. That's not what we're talking about here. Whatever, you see, the Bible says before you are made, God already created certain works, good works for you. In fact, I, I can even say this. It was because of the good works he had in mind for you that you are created. We see that in scriptures. It took Jeremiah before you were born. I knew you. While you are here in the womb, I already ordained you. So you thought you were ordained in 2013. You thought you went to Bible school, you preached, you fasted, you prayed, and somebody called and then give you a God said, before you were born, mine is only just catching up what I did in eternity. Huge. There are four things that we need to know in order to make these things work consistently. And I, don't, I can't get into that now. But for sure, each one of us uniquely, each one, 
And until we get a hold of this, the church will never grow. Ephesians chapter 4. Every joint has supplies. Every joint. Every joint. You read a book about it, man. And there's, 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 a, there's a teaching we just did called Every Believer a Minister. Every one of us. Everyone. From the guy in the parking lot to the guy in the usher, the guy that's doing it. Every believer is a minister. Yes. Did I catch? Let me catch PJ. And then I'll, I'll come to you and then I'll come to you. We, we got time, man. We are all night. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, well, okay. Yes. Can we then say that this rest is progressive? See, for example, in some areas, um, like an overachiever, an overachiever, for example, in other areas, I have a black belt in fighting my own battles there without even consulting God. And, and so the rest is, you know, maybe they're scaled, there's a sliding scale, or there's a. Um, it's progressive there. You, you get there inch by inch, or is it an all or nothing proposition? Or wow. Is it a zero sum game? <laughs> That's a very good question. And in my mind, I have an answer I can give you, but it's best for me to go to the scriptures. Because, no, really, because the scripture is the, is the, is the best way. So, to go to the scriptures, let me, let me ask you this way How did Jesus get it? And, and, and this is not a, this is not a trick question. Let, 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 let me help you before you answer that question. My question to you is, how did Jesus get it? Now, the clue there is, remember what John said, that as he is, so we are in this world. You understand what I'm saying? So, having said that, how do you think Jesus... What, what, was, this, was it progressive? He got it from the Father one time. So, is the Father now going to discriminate against you? No, I'm asking you a question. We have the same Father. <laughs> I know where you're going, and that's, and that's why I said if I had to answer in my mind, I have one set of answers for that. But the truth is, and that's, why I, that's what I meant by what Pastor Tosin asked, the only way you and I will get into that rest, into that place where we're fully seated, is we must saturate our mind with what God has already said about us. So now, I know what you're saying. In our human experience, yes. it is almost as if it's progressive and selective. Yeah. So, you know, really, we are really unraveling, we're pulling back this morning. <laughs> I understand. Now, this is a very good discussion. Yeah. This is a very good discussion. And I'm hearing you loud and clear. But let me also say to you, such reasonings contradict the word of God, period. Mm. You've got to be careful. Because once you get on that rabbit trail, we were born in sin. He wasn't. Uh, we got wrong teachings. He didn't. All this is a fact. That's why Paul said, casting down 
every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captive to be into Christ. Now, I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. And there are areas in my life that I'm still struggling in. However, this is the difference. I am not giving those areas a pass mark. I refuse to accept that those areas are normal. So, whatever those areas are, I have to bring them right under that finished work, right under that cross. I have to say to me, bank, even though this is, the, this is your norm now, the blood of Jesus has already finished it, and therefore I'm believing it, and I'm living it, and I'm just thanking God for it. In time, you get there. But if I accept that my case is different, once I accept that, the enemy is celebrating. He's celebrating. So we need to, we need to, and I really appreciate that question, we need to really do the inventory, and we need to say to ourselves, you know, bank, just blow your lead. Getting angry the way you just got angry is just not normal. It's not, it's not God. You need to tell yourself the truth. Don't excuse it. Don't excuse bad behavior. No. You need to go back in that closet and say, Jesus, you know what? Your blood took care of this. Your blood took care of this. And so I receive now the ability in you to live out what you already took care of me. So that if I'm faced with that situation again, I'll live and walk in victory and not what I just did. But as long as you give yourself a pass mark, that's what's happening in our world. What happens is, I judge you and say, man, so you shouldn't have done that. Why? How dare you do that? I challenge you that you've done something bad. And then for me, I say, bank, you know, your case is different. Double standards. Hillary Clinton standard. One rule for Hillary, another one for the rest of us. All right, all the Democrats in the house say, what? Amen. <laughs> no, but seriously, you get the point I'm making. We can't keep on giving ourselves past mark in direct contradiction to what God has already said. If we do keep on doing that, we won't live in victory. We won't live in victory. Okay. I'm going to get you. you to help, us, uh, help you with uh, rest, results. You know, uh, I believe you have to work to get results. Pastor Bode, I'm hearing you, but I can't understand what you're saying. What, what's happening? I, I said, I okay. want you to help me with uh, okay. to, to uh, relate rest with results and work. Rest with result and work. And work. work as in W-O-R-K or W-A-L-K? W O R K. Okay. And and you said we are we sitting mm-hmm. before we walk. Yes. You know, and we believe that when we get up to walk, mm-hmm. it can transfer into work. Yes. W O R K. Correct. Now, if I'm sitting, yes, I see my result from the place of sitting first before I walk. Absolutely. And work. Absolutely. That's what motivates you to walk. Because, do you understand this question? When you're sitting and you're getting the instruction or the direction, along with that instruction and direction, you have an idea or an expectation of what the result will be. The expectations of the righteous shall not be what? Cut off. 
So, 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 yeah, so of course, while you're, while you're sitting, you have an expectation. For instance, God told Moses, go to Egypt, get my people out. Did Moses have an expectation of what will happen in Egypt? Yes. If Mike could not comprehend it, because he was scared to death, but God did not send him without giving him an expectation. To Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you. Make your name great. Make you have a great nation. Bless those that bless you. Because I mean you. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the result. That all the families of the earth will be blessed by you, Abraham. So yes, there is, there is an anticipation, an expectation that when we sit, the sitting will lead to walking, which means conduct or living. And then of course, whatever works we engage in, as a result of the sitting, we have an idea of what to expect from it. Yes. Yes. Does that... Who's next? Okay. Oh, thank you, sir. Pastor Samore, welcome. I'm Pastor David. Thank you, sir, for the opportunity. Uh, I guess uh, two questions. Now, the first one is um, how does my living to enter into God's rest not become work but be O-R-K um, okay be- because yeah, you know, the first time is you know, God is revelation and, and I started preaching myself I, I noticed that you know the, the time I spent in prayer became reduced because I was trying to rest in God but the mystery was I was getting more results. So that was, I was scared that when you were praying more, you were having little results. But not that you seem to be praying less, you're having more results. And that's very scary. So <laughs> I was like, so, because my attempt to want to do more, you know, just to you know, get you know, this revelation, now you begin to ask yourself this question. When does an attempt to enter into this person and become another work, not W-A-L-K, but W-O-R-K. And an attempt not to do W-O-R-K. You know, some people now tend to be lazy. So, so how do you, you know, relate, how do you explain that? Okay, so let, let me show understand the first one. You are saying, how does laboring to enter the rest not become work? Yes. Okay. Work as in under the law. No, no, no. I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to answer the question. When we use the term works, or that grace has delivered us from work, the work that we are referring to is the works that people do in order to get a blessing from God. Performance. Uh, perform and therefore I deserve this. Those are works. But when I'm laboring to enter rest, I'm not laboring to please God. I'm not, I'm not trying to get God to do something for me. This, this is the distinction I'm trying to make. It's, it's a little, it's a little, it's, 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 it's uh, what's the word? It's, 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 so, it's such a gray, gray area. Yeah. But, but when I'm laboring to enter into rest, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that because I want to gain God's favor or gain his blessing. I already have that. What I just don't have is the disposition to believe him. 
You see what I'm saying? So, 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 the labor here is not work as in I'm trying to please God to bless me. No, I already have that blessing. But the labor here has to do with my disposition, my mindset to enter into that realm of believing. That's, 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 does that make any sense? Fighting good fight of faith. Fighting good fight, fight of faith almost implies that you're already in faith. You're just fighting a good fight of faith. I'm not quite sure. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Explain. The, the, okay. Yeah. What, what I was trying to say. Yeah. For instance, you know, you, you, you said that faith you know, rests as synonymous. Yes. Uh, and I, I agree with you to the lesson. Yeah. But the question is sometimes, you know, faith itself can become work if it gets not taken. In other words, we tend to believe that. Because of my faith, I got this. Faith, I got this. And, and it's so important also that yeah. we need to use faith to get things. Yeah. So the question is, how... See, that, uh, see that, that, okay. do you understand this point? Where faith in itself can become work. Where we can say, because of my faith, I got this. See, this is a big distinction. Yes. A power can make confession. But lack relationship. So I, as a believer, can become a parrot. I confess. I say I have faith to, to acquire something, but with no relationship. That's why the issue of sitting goes beyond a mere confession. Sitting and resting connotes a relationship, an ongoing union. We are seated together. So it's not just so it's not just something that Russian and Russia, Russian and Russia. No, that's that's almost prostitution. I'm sorry, I'm being graphic, but I'm just trying to make a point. So the sitting that Paul talks about, being seated with Christ and being at rest in Christ, is a present, continuous repose. It's 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 a it's a disposition that's not just a temporary one, but implies a permanent relationship that's ongoing. Having said that, I understand what you're saying. I understand the, the dilemma of, of, of that terminology. I, I just don't have any other way to explain it. You have, uh, uh, well, well, <laughs> no, seriously. Well, because to labor to enter into rest, it, it sounds like, like you are sweating to get, but that's not the idea. That's not the idea. The idea is just overcoming all of those elements that stand to hinder us from being where we ought to be. But the works element that we talk about under the law has to do with me saying, I do this so I get that. I prayed three hours and God gave me $1,000. <laughs> no. You see, because when I'm in relationship with him, when I'm seated with him, when I'm at rest with him, I'm not even focusing on any demands on him. Because the assurance is so, is so there that whatever, because remember, he's given me a charge, he's given me some things to do. He, before I can ask, makes a provision for those things. They're there. Go ahead. Sir, thank you, sir. Then the question, question is uh, we have really like every day yeah. experience that, that some people were not even saved. They seem to uh, be more put together than believers in terms of manifesting, quote unquote, godly character. 
Yeah, okay, right, finish, finish. And uh, we, we have on the respect from the other side of spectrums, Christians, who, even though they understand grace or they're growing grace, let me put it that way, are still struggling with certain destructive habits. So sometimes the message does not make sense again to these unbelievers. Okay. And yet we're supposed to manifest good works. Okay. As Christians. You understand the question? Some unbelievers seem to have it all together and they seem to be making it and believers and in particular those who seem to be working in grace some of them are still living destructive lifestyle and it's time to get a reconciliation of that. First of all, let me say this about the unbelievers. We have made a gross mistake. Say gross. Please say it again. Say gross. Thank you. In not understanding that the blessings of God are not just for believers. Wow, I can almost hear a, a pin drop here. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did he only make the church in his own image and likeness? Are you sure? Answer now, please. It's not a trick question. He made all mankind in his own image and likeness. So that if that's the case, is there failure on God? The ability to succeed was placed in every mankind. Born again or sinner, doesn't matter. We're going to address on Wednesday, I believe on Wednesday, a subject, a, title, a, a message that talks about Genesis chapter 1. The entire creation model. That's the problem. Many of us read the Bible from John 3.16 alone. No. Every man and every woman. Remember, God created all of us. And, and like I said to you previously, before they were all born, he had, a, he had something in them. If we're all made in this image and likeness, then of course all, all of us have creativity in us. Everybody. All mankind are sub creators. Oh, okay. This is getting to. You have to be. So, to, to your question, there will be a lot of unbelievers that have. The Bible, Jesus said, is it makes it to rain on the just and what? On the unjust. The same God. <laughs> yeah. It makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. That's who God is. No, the, the image of God that many of us have, unfortunately, from the traditional church and the and the church of the law, is 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 it it, it totally disfigures who God is. And to the second part of your question, believers who works in grace, who is living destructive habits, is because number one, like I said earlier, they are not sitting. They have, they have embraced pack, pack, uh, uh, patches of grace. They've been selective in the grace that they understand. But they are not really sitting. And if they are not sitting, they cannot walk. If they can't walk, they can't stand. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And we did a teaching here, I think it was October... 
about the issue of holiness and, 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 and sanctification. I don't know uh, if we get to that this time around. That will help you understand what happened to you. And therefore, Romans chapter 6, Paul says, knowing some, some, there are certain things you need to know. Because most of the things that are stripping us is not really coming from us. It's the enemy sending these messages to us, and we think it's us saying we need to do them. The enemy is just renting space in your mind. And using that space to tell you to do certain things, and you just comply. And you think, I just have to do it. No, you don't have to do it. I don't really have time to get into all of that now. But what I'm saying to you is, the power to live a victorious life is being given to us. There is no doubt about that. The power to overcome sinfulness and live a victorious life in Christ has been given to us. The same blood that took care of our sins took care of our sanctification. She finally Amen. Very good question. Very good question. That is covered in this notes, but we, we, it's nine o'clock now. We're not going to get here tonight. But I can just say this to you: maybe one of the most powerful prayers you will ever pray is to thank Jesus for His love for you, and then ask Him, "Say, Jesus, show me how much you love me." You see, I can stand here and tell you all day long and give you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. You hear it, you say, mm, okay. Bank said, it, you know, that was a good word. I don't mean anything to you. But when you pray that simple prayer and ask him to reveal and show to you how much he loves you, Shay. And once Jesus shows that to you, you are ruined for good. Case in point, John chapter 4. Don't go there. This is a Samaritan woman who is ostracized. The entire community knows her by name. They know what she does. Five husbands. She's living with one that's not even her husband. They don't like her. They say this woman is a husband stealer. Stay away from her. She comes to the well to fetch water at a time when nobody else is there. In the meantime, the Bible says, Jesus says, I must need go through Samaria. There's a woman who's an outcast, who's been ostracized, been put down by society, have no self-worth, 
rejected, dejected, disillusioned, Jesus said, I have to meet her and change her life today. Now, because a woman knows what her condition is as an outcast, she couldn't bold up to speak to Jesus. She already said, man, I'm an outcast. So Jesus initiates the conversation. Woman, give me to drink. What? You believe you're going to talk to me? You do know who I am? Identity. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a black man. I'm from Africa. I have no qualification. I have, don't have this. I don't have that. All kinds of reasons to marginalize yourself. The world has sold that to you and you believe it. I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't have dealings with us. We're subclass citizens. He says, okay, let's change the subject. Go get your husband. Oh, I don't have one. Yes. Now, look at what Jesus did. Look what he did. He told the woman to go bring her husband, knowing very well she does not have one. And the woman said, I don't have one. Now, notice what Jesus said next to her. Thou hast well said. Commendation. Commendation. You are speaking the truth. You are a great man. You speak the truth. Because to bring her out of that wrong identity, he first has to affirm her. Thou hast well said. Then he goes on and deals with the issue. And lets her know, in fact, the one you are with, it's not your husband. What? How do you know that? You are a prophet. But you see, because the woman didn't feel condemned in Jesus' presence, she came to him with one identity, but when she turned around and left him, she regained her lost identity. One encounter, and she was able to go back to the village where she was an outcast, ostracized, and for some reason, never saw any longer that she was an outcast. Because the same people that would never speak to her before was who she went and said, Come here, man. The people that she never could talk to before that thought she was an outcast, she became the agent to go back to them. Which means all of a sudden, the walls that limited her interaction with them were already taken away. The change of identity. Remove the walls that caged her in. And I believe that's the same thing God wants to do for us. All the cages and the walls that we've built because of this disappointment and that disappointment, I believe that God wants to break them all down so that we can live and be a full expression of the Spirit of God in our world and bring Him honor, glory, and praise. So what I'm saying is, Shay, once you know how much He loves you, it changes the equation. Many of us do not know that. We have a mental ascent of that because we read it, but it's not real to us yet. But when it becomes real, I'm sorry. Nothing else anybody says will be so critical. 
mean, we know husband and wife should love one another, all of that. But you know, sometimes we place demands on, on one another that is not real. And the reason we do that is because the love relationship we should have vertically is not taking place. So we're looking for it horizontally and we frustrate one another. We want your wife or your husband to take the place that God should take. So you expect all your fuzzy, wonderful, warming feeling from your husband and wife when only God can give it to you. And so when you don't get it from your husband and wife, you get mad and upset and you tear the world apart. So we need to get that one right. Amen? Anyone else? X, we're close for tonight. So you can, huh? I didn't get to stand. Oh, you want me to do stand tonight? Oh, I, I wanted to show you something. Okay, all right. Uh, hey, listen, I'm here. You guys, you guys, good to go? Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So how do we reconcile that? We will not take your deliverance ministry away from you. Don't worry. <laughs> I know you're talking to me in coded language. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. I, th- I think that's, that, that makes sense. Let's just... Let's just uh, Shade, would you please get ready for me that uh, a diagram on the vine? Please. Thank you. So, okay. Walking worthy of a calling talks or speaks to us of conduct and progress in Christian living. So we say we must understand that our conduct walking never develops correctly unless we are first at rest. Once we understand the truth of our rest in Christ, the practical outworking of the Christian life will follow. I cannot emphasize that enough. And there you have on the board, on the overhead, the illustration of the vine. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, that's what you're looking at. Jesus tells us that his father is the husband man, that he is the vine, and we're the branches. Is that correct? Are we still together? Good. Now, has anybody here ever seen a branch that struggles to produce fruit? Have you ever seen a branch on the vine that struggles to produce fruit? No. Why does the branch not struggle to produce fruit? Ah. Because the vine is the one supplying. Ah. Bishop. Wonderful bishop. The bishop said because the vine is the one that supplies the branches. It's true. It's true. So the branch never have to do anything to produce. Jesus said, I am divine, you are the branches. Is that not what he said? Now there are some other verses there that, that could become that could become uh, that's, uh, that some people really 
uh, they take it out of context, but I'm not addressing that tonight. Uh, but the point here is, you're looking at branches. It's producing fruit. Effortlessly. In fact, I'm sorry to say this, the branches don't pray to produce fruit. You didn't hear what I just said. To your point earlier, the branches are now praying to produce fruit. They are not praying. It's effortless. What's the only condition? It must be attached to the vine. It must be seated to the vine. It must be in union with the vine. That's the only condition. Now, this is the traditional teaching that's confused us. As long as I separate the branch from the vine, I can get confused. When Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, who is the root? Thank you. Who is the vine? And finally then, who is the branch? Jesus, of course, he is. Because what is true of Jesus is true of you. How are you going to support Jesus, who is divine, from his branch? Did not the Bible say that a branch shall grow? The book of Isaiah. It's not only just divine. It can't just be divine and not be. It's, it's divine. It's the branch. It's the fruit. The fruit of the what? Spirit. It's all of it. Do you guys see that? Oh, well, no, you didn't see it. Am I stretching it? How can it be divine and not be the branch? It's not possible. It's not possible. If you read the entire context of John 15, that's what he's saying. So the point is making is, listen, just be attached to me. Because by your attachment and your communion, we are one. We are one. The sap, what you need, all the resources to produce is in me. I supply it. You just be there. And just by being there, you're going to get results. So it's not only the root, it's not only divine, it's everything. It's all of it. You and I are just going along for the ride. That's why I said to you at the beginning, it's important to understand sitting and resting. Because that's what these branches are doing. They're seated and they're resting. And because they're seated and resting in him, they produce. Now, so we know sitting, we know walking. Walking has to do with living our daily life. The third aspect of the book of Ephesians now is the aspect of uh, standing. Let me just finish some of these things here. I gave the illustration of the car earlier. I talked about that earlier. Ah, huge. Let me touch this. The issue of sitting and walking in your notes there, it becomes especially visible in the area of relationship with others. Do you see that in your notes? This is the point I'm making here. You cannot say you are seated with Christ 
and it does not affect your relationship with other people. It's not possible because the way you live it out, you live it out in the community of faith or community of people at work. I cannot be a believer in isolation. I have to live. That life has to be lived out somewhere. And what I'm saying is the first place of manifestation of really if I've received the grace message is in the relationship around me. If I was a mean snake, mean-spirited person like a snake before, and I now say I've received the grace of God, how is that affecting my relationship with people around me? That's the, that's the first place it shows up. That's the first place where it shows up. So, what I'm saying to us is, if my relationship with others around me has not changed, no, I've not gone grace yet. Don't even talk about that. Just say you are under the law. The way we relate to others exposes the true state of our inner sitting with Christ. Okay? Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Colossians 1.29 To this end I also labor. That's that word labor again. I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So at the end of the day, even though he says he's laboring, it's God at work in him. And he's just, in, he's just following. So God has provided a way for us to attain maturity, but we must be willing for God to work in us so we can work out our own salvation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Okay. Ah, there's so much stuff here. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to rush to get to standing. That's, that's, the, that's the thing, because Dr. Ayani wants to... Uh, let me leave out the issue of the first fruits and deal with that tomorrow. This is not money, so don't want to say first fruits here. <laughs> first fruits here is talking about the... It's not talking about uh, a better harvest, but it's talking about a harvest at a different time, which we'll address that later, Okay? Standing. Let's get to Dr. Yanko. She can go and do deliverance tonight. <laughs> so we sit, we walk, we stand. Now pay attention. Christian experience begins with sitting and leads to walking, but it does not end there. Each one must also learn to stand. Each one of us must be prepared for the inevitable conflict of a fallen world. And the example here is that God prepared and taught Israel to war. God actually did that. Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 4, and then David in Psalms 144, verse 1, talks about how God taught his hands to war. Okay? However, when we read the scripture, give me that scripture, please, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Okay, look at what it says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And it goes on in verses 13 and 18 and lists all this armor. To stand here primarily means to hold your ground. That is important you understand that. So when the Bible says to stand... Primarily, it's not necessarily 
implying being in the offense. But holding your position. Holding ground. Now, is there a part in being offensive? Yes, there are certain parts for that. But unfortunately, we've turned everything to offense. I don't understand the issue of standing. Standing here means hold a position. We are not to match, but to stand. The word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy is really God's and therefore ours. We need not struggle to gain a foothold in it. Okay? This is the major difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. This issue that we're talking about here. Because under the old covenant, uh, Israel, aided by God, had to fight to gain territory of victory. So, they went to the Canaanites, they went to the Perizzites, they went to the Etites, and fought them, and in fighting them, they gained the territory. That's what they did under the Old Testament. They were aided and helped by God, but they had to fight to gain the territory. Is that correct? But that is not so in the new. In the new, we fight to keep what Jesus has already obtained. We need to struggle to occupy ground that is already ours. So today we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. We do not fight in order to win, but because in Christ we have already won. That is huge. That distinction is very important. So here I say, remember only those who still can stand, our powerful standing, as well as for walking lies in our having first been made to sit at rest, together with Christ. If you are not sitting before God, you cannot hope to stand before the enemy. Absolutely right. If you are not sitting before God, you cannot hope to stand before the enemy. So, so the issue of standing here, primarily, first and foremost, deals with the fact that Jesus has fought for us, won the victory, now you and I fight to maintain it. That's what it means by standing. Now, again I said, there are those situations where we have to be in the offense. For instance, you go to Singapore, you go to Malaysia, you go to downtown Atlanta, where darkness has totally engrossed the world and taken over those places. And those places do not look like what Jesus fought and won for, fought for and, and received the victory for. They, they don't look like that. So in those cases, there's an offensive. Yes. 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 Now, a good thing that will really help this point is the next. Nearly all the weapons of warfare, describing Ephesians, are purely defensive. Most of the weapons described. And the point there is, they are defensive because those weapons are given you to hold ground, not to charge. Okay? Even the sword can be used both for defense and as well as offense. The difference between defense and offensive warfare is this. In the former, I've got, to, I've got the ground and only seek to keep it. Whereas in the later one, I've not got the ground and I'm fighting in order to get it. See, this is the difference between warfare waged by the Lord Jesus and the warfare waged by us. His was offensive and ours in essence is defensive. 
There's, however, need for the offensive when we must lay hold of God's promises by faith through prayer or an action. So you go to a place, a territory, the place is taken over, taken by the enemy, you need to take it back. So in that sense, you exercise your offensive uh, thing. But primarily, primarily, our weapons are to maintain what Jesus got. So we must pray kingdom prayer. What Tristan prayed at the beginning of the sessions here was a kingdom prayer. You're praising God for victory that's already obtained. Okay? Uh, oh, man. Guys, let, let me just, let me, let me call it a night here because if I go into the four essentials, what I said to you earlier about how you can use God's signature, very, very, you have to know anyway, so you can look at it at night. We're going to pick it up tomorrow. But there's an idea, there's a place, a realm, where God's signature becomes readily available for you to use. God's signature. In other words, God's authority. If you look at that John 15, we didn't read the scriptures. When we want to show you the vine. It's clear in John 15, Jesus said you're going to bring forth food and then you've not asked for anything up till now. But from now, you ask anything in my name, the Father will do it. But he's saying that because if you are joint with him, communing with him, seated with him, of course, anything he has is yours. It's yours. And so you see the example of Peter at the gate of Beautiful. The man was lame, was looking at Peter with expectation, expectation to receive something from him. Peter didn't take a pause to pray. He didn't say, let me go back and just get in my closet and pray for God and then come back and touch you. No. Instantly, rise up in the name of Jesus. Bam, it happened. It happened. Paul, same thing. No pause. They saw a need, bang. They moved and made that need. But the guy that says Jesus, the guy that didn't have a relationship, he's trying to cast out a demon. Oh, really? You're going to try that? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? Who are you? He did not have the authority to use the signature. He knew the name, but he did not have the authority. God had not committed to him because he was not committed to God. And so that was the difference. But there's a place for all of us where we can really enter into a place and a realm where God is totally, completely committed to us and we can use his signature seamlessly. Elisha, Elijah did it in the Old Testament. Again, the same language. He said it's Elijah who stands where? In the presence of God. And because of that, he can speak for God. Let's turn to our faith. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And tying that to the analogy of the uh, vine and the branches. Yes, there. And there is a verse of scripture in Acts 9 where Saul gets letters from the high priest and he goes after the church. And Jesus arrests him on the road to Damascus and says to him, Good. Uh, why are you persecuting me? Correct. It took a personal. Does the analogy work that when, when those insects 
come to attack uh, the roots uh, or attack the branch, they're really they're attacking the vine. Correct. And so in matters of spiritual war, that's good. That really the enemies that come against us really don't come against us, they come against Christ. Ah, you get a dollar. You get a dollar for that. I'm serious. Did you, did you hear that? But that can only be so when you believe that you are part of that van. Yeah. That can only happen when you are arrested in him. You know he has your back. You didn't say anything. Out of business. <laughs> no, but that's it. <laughs> do you see the? Do, do you see what? What that? Would, if you catch that, what would it do for you? All of a sudden, you recognize the battle is not mine. But you have you you, you you yes because he's also the branch. Yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah he's also the branch. But but you see, he cannot just be here. And the truth of the matter is, what you guys are talking about here now, that's so deep. God is gonna you're gonna you're gonna have to leave it tomorrow. Next no 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 you don't own it until you leave it. It sounds wonderful, it's flowery, it's powerful, but it does not become yours until you leave it. Until you flesh it out. And you have the opportunity. So the issue is, will you trust him then or you trust yourself? Yes. Oh. I sincerely, I sincerely wish that this analogy goes round because from the part of the world where I am from, when they tell you that you fight every battle on your own and everything will die by fire and all that. It's a bit difficult to comprehend what we're talking about here. I, I understand what we're talking about, but a lot of teachings are actually going out on right out there and people just feel that when like the insect insect is talking about you bet you rather attack that insect by fire and kill it there and make it rather than let it you know. I, I mean there's a lot of things going on out there. Yeah, it is true that it is true that a lot of things are going out there. My advice for you is, work out your own salvation. Don't focus on what's out there. Focus on what's in here. Let His will be done in this earth, in your life, as it is in heaven. And hopefully, from the from the influence of your life, one by one, your friends that's dying by fire, who is chasing fire. <laughs> God will use you. They start talking one by one. And then, you know, they, I mean, listen, listen, we cannot build ourselves in the chest and say we got something. No. Because four years ago, I was not here. I was with them. And God is gradually making a transition and bringing us into his, his revelation. So, so we receive what God is giving us with humility. We thank him for it. And at the same time, we leave it out and hopefully others will catch it. But we can't because of others just stay put. You need to set yourself out first. Amen? Can we just stand to our feet, please? Ah.
Rosemary, can, can you guys find one thing for us to, to, to use to pray? Thank you. So again, don't forget tomorrow morning, let's, we're going to start early. And uh, for those of you that... <laughs> okay, let me just let the cat out of the bag. Tomorrow morning, Pastor Dollar is going to be with us. So um, we need to be on time. Amen? And just think of all your questions. Because uh, we'll be here and you should, uh, I want you to ask as many questions as possible after he's done teaching so you can go home with more enlightenment. Yep, let's just bless God and then we'll pray. Yes. Give you my soul. I live for That's our desire tonight. Have your way in us. That you may have your way through us. Quicken our mortal bodies tonight, Father God. That we do not become confirmed to this world. But that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thank you, Father God, for helping us to unlearn all those things that have hindered us and begin to embrace the freshness of your word. Thank you, Father God, that Jesus, by the one sacrifice, satisfied your claim over sin and judgment and in so doing sat at the throne of heaven and likewise Father God you have made us to sit together with him and therefore become co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ and so tonight Father God we set our affection above where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and we reckon that our life is hid in Christ, in God. And so, Father God, we thank you that you are divine and we are your branches.
which by extension makes us one together with you. And so as you are, so we are in this world. We embrace your fullness. We thank you for your love. We receive your wisdom. We thank you for the power of your spirit that is at work in us. Working in us both to will and to do for good pleasure. Thank you that we enter into your rest tonight. Thank you, Father God, we are not laboring. We are not entering into our own works, but we are in your rest. And from this place of rest, we are quickened to bless you, to serve you, and to serve mankind. Thank you for every man, every woman here tonight, Lord Jesus. Give us sweet night's rest. You said in your word that you give your beloved sleep, and you cause us to dwell in safety. And so, Father God, I thank you for sweet rest for every man and woman that will be refreshed by your presence and by your spirit. And I will come back in the morning ready, open to receive from you. Thank you, Father, for all of our ministries. Thank you for everyone. We bless you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Amen. <laughs>